at first I thought it would just be really the, the variety of trails and the, the unique like jump lines that we could offer that would be the reason that someone would come to ride at Canuga. But as it's progressed, the most important thing I think is the maintenance. We can provide, like we have five full-time trail builders for 10 miles of trail, which is kind of unheard of for anywhere else in the region. Welcome to Trail Effect. I'm your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Trails and trail communities can be different things to different people. For the next handful of episodes, we'll be exploring private bike parks, which to many is just as much of a community as the communities that offer public trails. We'll kick off the bike park series with a banger of an episode. One of the most notable moves within World Cup downhill racing for 2022 is the move of Nico Mullally from factory race team to forming his own program, which includes designing his own race bikes and having them built by Frank the Welder. The title sponsor for Nico's program is Ride Canuga Bike Park, which Nico has been heavily involved with since the inception of Ride Canuga. We go deep on bike parks with Nico during this episode, from the details surrounding Ride Canuga to Nico's involvement with getting Windrock started. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Salsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wallenek of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who share their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Check out Nico's YouTube channel and follow along with his new program, From Getting Their Race Bikes Built to Testing Them in Racing. Episode 1 is live and online now. If you want to learn more about the details that went into the design of the bikes and building out the race program, you can check out podcasts from Vital MTB and Downtime, where Nico goes through all of these details. Links for the YouTube content along with the other podcasts can be found in the show notes. Now on to Nico and Ride Canuga Bike Park. You're official with Frameworks now, correct? Since the YouTube video came out? Yeah. I'm trying to like kind of authentically like trickle that name in because okay, I don't want to have like I don't want it to be about the name and the brand. I thought that yeah. name was fitting. I, I guess like a lot of frame builders are called something framework. So it's kind of common, but I thought for me, it made sense because I was, I was laying the frameworks for this new project, which is building the frames and maybe getting into manufacturing and also the frameworks for my team and like creating a race program that hopefully grows in the future. So it fit that way. And I, I always said, like, I don't care about the name. I just want to make a frame that works. So it kind of fits. But yeah, I, um, I have filed a uh, trademark for it and have like branding and stuff. So it's official. I just wanted to make sure that it was all legit before I like pushed it too hard. But I got this week the word that it's all good. Go for it. Today, I have Nico Mullally. Nico is a World Cup downhill racer from the United States. 
which is pretty unique because in our recent times, we don't have a ton of World Cup downhill racers. But if you dig back into the archives of mountain bike racing, we were the powerhouse for all things mountain biking back in the 80s and 90s. And it's really awesome to see Nico take off and a handful of other of his compadres take off in downhill racing. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact that you've had some experience riding in some really rough terrain and areas that are more representative of what you would find on a World Cup downhill course, such as Windrock Bike Park, which you're a part of, and we'll get into that, and Ride Canuga, which is your, uh, your bike park in North Carolina. So how's it going today, Nico? It's good. It's, uh, I'm here in, in my house in Pisgah Forest, and it's pretty cold, but like you said, not as cold as where you are in Wisconsin, so can't really complain. Yeah. Well, let's dig into your backstory just a little bit. You know, your story has been told a lot, so we don't, we don't need to go super deep, but let's hear, you know, how you get into mountain biking and, and how you've parlayed that into becoming a, a professional at downhill racing. Yeah. So I grew up in Reading, Pennsylvania. That's about an hour, like North of Philadelphia. And my dad was into mountain biking when I was a little kid. He had a local bike shop and he raced the Norman Nationals in like 97, 98, I think. So he was into downhill riding himself and he got my brother, Logan, who's two years younger than me. He got the two of us into BMX to start with. I think BMX is a great place for kids because there's, there's more kids your own age and it's um, a pretty low barrier of entry like bicycle sports. So I think it's also good for developing skills. Like you can get a lot of pumping, jumping, like basic inputs to the bike you can learn that. And when you have to race, you have to, you figure out really quick, like how to do it right, because you get passed if you don't. So started out doing BMX. And then, um, I guess I transitioned into mountain biking when I was 13. I I wasn't as serious with BMX as, as some kids were, but we definitely raced often a few times a week. Uh, A lot, there was a few tracks nearby and a different weeknight. Each one had a a weeknight race and then one on the weekend. So we would normally race a couple times a week and do some nationals and just up and down the East coast. And as I got older, like till I guess when I was 12, it became like more competitive and the kids that you raced against, you weren't really friends with. You kind of wanted to kill them on the track. So it wasn't the most fun vibe to be at those races, the older I got. And there was a downhill race in Reading. It's called the Duryea Downhill, which was like one of the first kind of urban style races in the US. It's a local mountain that we would always mountain bike at called Mount Penn outside of Reading. I could actually see it from the house I grew up in. And uh, they built this course that crossed the road a couple times, had a bunch of wooden features. And it just looked like a cool thing to do. Like this, it was open to anyone. It was an amateur race. So I wanted to do it. And, uh, I got a downhill bike, I think the year before for Christmas, but hadn't really ridden it. My dad got it for me. I think it was a specialized big hit Grom, like the 24 inch downhill bike. And I thought it was cool, but I was so into BMX that I didn't really ride it. I just had this cool toy, this monster truck of a bike, but they had this race and I wanted to do it. So I thought I'd sign up and compete in this, this, uh, downhill race. And once I did that, I never raced BMX again. I had so much fun. And I just liked the fact that it was, it was more about you and the trail and like working together to get the fastest time. 
than um, in BMX where you kind of had to get it inside of people in the corners and push them out. And it was more like head to head. So if a guy beat you in a downhill race, it was because he was faster. It had nothing to do with you. Like it was every person's individual race. So you could be more friendly with the guys you're competing against. And I just like the vibe more. So I raced downhill more over the next uh, couple seasons in my early teens. Um, my brother and I would go to races around the Northeast and it was a lot more expensive to race downhill than BMX because you travel further. You went to ski resorts to race rather than um, just BMX tracks that cost a couple bucks. So my dad took a job as the demo driver for Rocky Mountain. And it was pretty cool that he did this because he, he was able to like figure out a way to make it work with, without having to front the bill, but definitely like didn't last forever because he definitely abused his position, but it was like, I guess worked out good because I got to go to the races. So he like, he was the demo driver. And instead of going to places that you would actually demo bikes that people would buy, he just took us to all the downhill races and set up this easy up and like could then expense it as that he was at doing a demo, which was cool. I mean, I'm glad that he did that. Like I said, only lasted a couple of years till they caught on that he wasn't actually going to important demos, but it was a way that we could afford to do it. And we got to go race almost every weekend and uh, travel around the Northeast. And I, I think I was, I was good at downhill from the beginning because that was like 2006, I think was the first year that I did. I think that I did that first race in 05. And then the next season in 06, we raced the whole season. And that was right about the time when there was machine built features on downhill tracks and bef- and down like the, the riders that were into downhill already were not good at jumping or like hitting these, these machine built gaps and coming from BMX, I was comfortable with that. So I was, I felt like I could be competitive right away, transitioning from BMX to downhill. And because I was competitive, I liked it. It was like, I thought it was my thing. and. uh and yeah, I raced junior expert. Even I was 13, 14, and I was still competing against like all the, then it was just 18 and under junior X. And um, we had some fast kids on the East Coast. Like Richie Rude was my, I think he was a year younger than me, but um, he would always race with us. And Phil Clements was really fast. And Zach Faulkner and Jeff Almer, the, all these kids were like really good, a couple years older than me. But it was like a good target to try to beat them and I had to really figure out a way to be faster because they're a lot bigger and stronger than I was. And I think it pushed me to get better and better. And then um, just kind of progressed from doing the races on the East Coast to then doing a couple national races when I was like 15. And then when I was 16, I, I traveled, like I went to Whistler Crankworks and a couple other bigger races. And, and then I was able to get on a a world cup team the first year I was a junior, which is when you're 17. So just kind of like naturally progressed. I didn't, I never really like thought that I wanted to be a pro downhill racer. I just loved to race. And then every race I did, there was another one coming and I looked forward to that. And I guess that just naturally kind of took me to get into the world cup level. So yeah, I guess that's how I got there. So speaking of Pennsylvania, did you ever go race Seven Springs, the Norba National? 
I've been there since it was kind of revamped. Back in the day when they had the Norba National there was that was before my time. My dad raced it and told me about some super muddy days racing at Seven Springs, but yeah, I never never did the national. Did a couple like Gravity East and local races there though. Well, let's fast forward. You are now entering the 2022 race season and you've got your own program. How's that all come together? And, you know, we talked before we hit record that there's a couple of their podcasts that are really, you've done a really good job detailing this. So you don't have to go too deep on this and we can reference those shows. But how do you get to the point of, of getting your own program going? Well, I guess it was just a dream to do it. Like a couple of the other ventures I've entered into, I just thought it would be a cool, fun, passion thing to do. Not necessarily like the best business idea. I think if you wanted to do something that was a good business idea, maybe don't get involved with mountain biking. (laughs) But if you can, like if I I was going to do something like that, I would just do it so that I could mountain bike more. So it kind of, it's, it's cool to me to involve what I love and make kind of a, a job of it. So creating this bike that I've designed and had built and building my race program is just something I've always dreamed of doing. And yeah, it'd be easier to go ride one of the awesome bikes that is available for sale or on a, one of the awesome factory teams that has race teams. But I've done that for the past 12 years and it was cool, but I just wanted to try this and I thought it'd be something unique and different to do that I was passionate about. And um, yeah, I just kind of dreamt it up and started to put some feelers out and got the ball rolling in this direction and didn't hit enough roadblocks to stop me. So be racing, um, racing the 2022 season on this frame that I designed and had built by Frank the Welder in Vermont and built a program to go to race all the World Cups with sponsors who make components that I would, that I, they were my first choice to spec my bike and what I thought would give me the best chance to do well at the races. So put together this program and going to be racing all the World Cups and large, like the bigger US races and um, super excited about it. My brother's going to make a video series documenting the, the whole process from what worked and what didn't on the bike, developing the bike from the first prototype to getting ready to race and refining it. And then how the team comes together and how that all works and the ins and outs of it all. So yeah, I think it'll be an exciting year. And if somebody else was doing it, I would, I would love to watch and pay attention to how it all was going. So to be able to do it is, is uh, something I'm super proud of. Yeah. So you've, we'll link in the show notes, your, to your YouTube channel. So people can figure out where to follow along that's where all this is going to go live. And I believe your first preview video is even out there as we record this. But one of your main sponsors is Rag Canuga, which is another venture you've gone into. And we'll talk about multiple ventures that you've gone into. But Rag Canuga is your most recent venture that has to do with digging in the dirt and having a bike park so people can get out and enjoy mountain biking. Let's talk about Rag Canuga a little bit and how they relate to your program. And then we're going to go backwards into bike parks in general. Yeah. So, um, Ride Canuga is a bike park here in Hendersonville, North Carolina. 
I live in Pisgah Forest, which is just outside of Brevard. And the bike park is about 20 minutes from my house. So it's, it's pretty conveniently located for me. But um, the Asheville area, Western North Carolina is pretty popular for, for mountain biking. We have mild climate and big mountains and awesome trails, which is a great combination. How Canuga kind of came about was um, one of my friends, Dave Lamond, is a doctor and mountain bikes all the time. He's a good friend. And we would go riding together a ton. And over the years, he's helped me out a lot with injuries I've had or advice on nutrition, whatever it was. He, um, he's well-connected with a lot of surgeons. And I would most of my texts to Dave in the past would be, hey, I broke this bone. Who should I go and see? Or I ripped all the ligaments off my ankle. <laughs> what, what doctor should I go to? And he would just like personally text the guy and say, oh, can you get Nico in quick? And so I knew Dave from that. And then we'd go ride together too. And he's just been a, a great friend of mine. And he paid attention to kind of what was going on over at Windrock and like getting that bike park started. and knew that I had some experience with bike park and trail building side of things. And his, where he, his house is, is bordering um, the Canuga Conference Center and Summer Camp, which is a religious affiliated summer camp for boys and girls. And they have a conference center where people can bring in like, a, I don't know, a, if they have a business and they want to bring their whole staff together for a weekend retreat or a conference meeting or something. They've got um, cabins and a hotel and amenities, things to do for stuff like that. And they were interested in maybe building some mountain bike trails, for, mainly for the summer camp. This area is really popular for summer camps. There's, it's like the Brevard kind of Hendersonville area. There's tons of different summer camps where kids come for a week and do the normal summer camp thing. Like if you ever saw the movie Heavyweights, it's, it was filmed at the summer camp that is literally a mile down the road from Canuga. So there's a bunch of different summer camps around and they wanted to get some mountain bike trails for the campers to use because currently they were trailering the kids over to DuPont to ride and they thought it'd be a cool thing to, to offer. So they, they knew that Dave, because he, like I said, he's the neighboring property to this camp. And they had hiking trails there that Dave would sometimes poach on his bike, which you shouldn't do, but I guess not that many people were using them. So it didn't really matter. They were just, oh, that's the neighbor. He's just cruising around on his bike. So they reached out to Dave and said, hey, we want to get some official bike trails done. Like you're a mountain biker. What do you know about it? And like, can you connect us with some people to get it done? And Dave got them in touch with me and I went to a meeting and I basically told him like, I don't, I'm not a trail building company. I don't do public trail building. I know a lot of guys who do it and this is like what you can expect to pay for it. These are some of the costs and challenges. And yeah, like I don't, I don't really care if you do it or not, but I'm happy to like help and give you the information that you need. And they were blown away by how much it costs, like what public trail building actually the price of it is. And I guess because they're like um, a religious affiliated camp, they get a lot of money from donations from people in the church and stuff like that. So they 
they asked Dave, like, hey, can you donate these trails to the camp? And Dave was like, well, I'm not really in position like to want to do that. Like, of course, it'd be cool. I don't think he said no right away, but he was just like kind of thinking about how it would all work. And I was like, well, hang on. Like if he called me and like, was like, yeah, bad news. I don't think they want to do the trails, but they, they asked me to donate them, which I don't think I really want to do. And I was like, well, what if you tell them you'll donate the trails, but we can then sell the pass to the public to recoup the funds. That way they get the trails, which is what they're looking for. And then we can make the money back by, um, by selling passes. He's like, oh, that's, that's a cool idea. And it's pretty similar to kind of like how he did it at Windrock where we sold the passes and made the money from the passes and then paid a portion to them to use the property. And anyway, we set something up with Canuga that was along those lines. I think the deal was a lot better of a very small percentage because they wanted these trails to to use like they were the ones who approached us that wanted trails put in. And um anyway, we came to an agreement and they were stoked to have us using their property and I really wanted to see it get done because the the land was like the terrain was perfect I thought for building. I had walked with with other people that have asked my opinion on stuff. I'd walked a bunch of pieces of property and looked at stuff and I don't have any formal training in trail building, but I've ridden a whole lot of trails and built a whole lot of trails and I can tell what sort of terrain is going to be a pain in the ass and what's going to be a nice canvas for building uh, an awesome trail. And everything at Canuga was like a gentle grade, but consistent and steep enough to where you could have awesome trails that didn't feel flat or slow, but not so steep that you were locked into a really specific line and couldn't be too creative. And the dirt was perfect. Like it's almost sand with clay mixed together. So it's, it's like really good all weather, but also packs in nicely and is easy to work with and that you can dig anywhere and get awesome dirt. But then there's also like big boulders and like huge rocks the size of your house that make some cool features. And the forest was pretty well managed. There is pretty open. There's not a lot of um, like underbrush and thorns. Definitely have like on the on the wet or dark side of the hill a bunch of roto thickets like we normally have in North Carolina, but for the most part it was pretty open and there's a bunch of huge pine trees and like some of the biggest trees I've ever seen in North Carolina. So the forest was really nice to work with, and I, I wanted to see it happen just because I thought it'd be a great, like I said, a great canvas to build a bike park, and if we were going to build it for like public use. Well, I guess like a private bike park that public could buy a pass for, then it wasn't going to be the same as like hiring a company to come build a trail, leave and never come back. Like we could make it a little bit cooler if we were going to be kind of operating as a a business on a daily basis. So yeah, then we we kind of like they 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 were down with the idea, and I laid out a couple trails, walked around the property, and. The more I looked at it, the more excited I got because the, like I said, the land looked so good and, um, we were ready. It, it took a little while, like, like working with them, we had to get a lot of stuff in place and make it more official than like Windrock was. The nice thing about Tennessee is that you can do whatever you want and there's very little red tape. 
But out here in North Carolina, it's a little bit more and we had to do things more by the book and more official. But when it came time to build it was like right in spring of 2020. So last year and um, right when COVID hit. So I flew to Europe to the first race. It got canceled while I was on my way there, actually. I um, stayed and rode a couple of days and then came home and had lined up people to, to friends of mine really to like work, start working on all the trails that we'd fl- flagged and laid out. And when I came back, I was able to dig into it myself, which kind of worked out perfectly because a lot of racers were in this kind of spot where like they were not sure when the next race would be, kind of didn't know like what to do, like keep training, but you can't just sustain that forever. You kind of have to peak for your event. So having time off and having a project like this at the same time was kind of like the perfect thing that it just lined up just right. And um, I was able to be there, I think like every day for three months because it's so close. I would just drive over there in the morning and we had the guys that were working on the, like the, the trail crew, they would work normal hours and I would get there. It was, it was like early summer, springtime. And I would, I'd get there at like five o'clock in the morning. I wanted to be cranking the machine when the, well, as soon as I could see, run it until they got there, let them, let them work for the day and then come back and run it again till dark. So we were, we were able to get a ton done because we were working like, 16 hour days. Like we're just making the most of it. And I don't know, I, some, when I get an idea in my head, I'm pretty gung ho about trying to get it finished. Like if I've thought of it and it's not done yet, then it's bothering me. (laughs) So I wanted to get all the trails done as quick as I could and was just stoked to push to try to get the bike park open that summer. And yeah, we had an awesome crew there. I, I built a couple of the trails myself I laid them all out. And then my girlfriend, Callie had, she was kind of figuring out what she wanted to do. She um, has a background in like photography and graphic design, but she raced cross country a bunch in the past too, but was interested in like, she loved to work on the trails with us whenever we were doing stuff at Windrock or anywhere else. And before Canuga took off, she thought she wanted because it was con- more convenient for her close to home to be able to do it. She wanted to, she knew it was coming and wanted to be a part of it. So she took a job working for Elevated Trail Design and worked there for like nine months, maybe or almost a year, and learned like the professional way to like because they would build trails for the for the government or for big projects, like how you have to do it to code and by the book. Me and Sean at Windrock were absolutely doing it the opposite. So to have her learn the proper way was was really, really cool because I'm open-minded. Like I don't want to waste time or like sacrifice the ride of the trail to do it like the way that you're supposed to by code. But there's a reason that they say to do it that way and for sustainability and to make the trails last better. So to learn like what Callie got from her experience working with a pro trail company and then come out and work on the trails, we, we were able to get a, a really good mix of like, yeah, we did it legit, more legit this time, but we also kept our kind of ride feel first flavor to it. 
And yeah, we were able to get the park. We, I think we built it in three months, like from the first day we worked was in March and we opened in the beginning of July. So it was pretty quick build, but like I said, the, the terrain was easy to work with. It was nice. We had a really good crew and we worked a lot, but it was kind of like there was nothing else to do in spring of 2020. So, and restrictions were a lot less in out here. Like we didn't have to like stay inside or anything. Like no one was stopping us from driving down the country road into another forest and digging a trail. So we did a bunch of that and um, yeah, was able to get the bike park open. I think our, our first day was in, in July, 2020. And we had a, I mean, the whole goal of it, I thought was to make something that was different to the area. We have so many trails here in Western North Carolina. Most of them are free. So like Pisgah National Forest is 10 minutes from my house. And I've lived here for eight years and haven't ridden every trail that's in there. There's just ex- an expansive amount of trail out there. And DuPont is here too. And is, it's only 10 minutes from Canuga, which is also a free, fun, really nice trail system. So I wanted to make something that was going like, to complement the area. And what, what I thought was like all these places, as cool as they are, are every trail there is kind of similar. Like if you went to the trail, like on any of them, they kind of look the same. There's just like more and more miles of the same flavor trail. And I thought Canuga would be different in the sense that we would make, for one, it's going to be laid out like a downhill park. So there's two climbing trails. There's a climbing trail to the top and then an access road and you can climb either one. And then once you're up there, every trail drops off the peak of the same hill and you're never more than 10 minutes from your car because the climbing trail is like 10 minutes to the top, 15 minutes to the top, but you can turn around at any point and ride downhill back to the car. And um, all the trails are like five-ish minute descents. And we kind of laid them out so that there was just a a good variety. Like every one is different. There's, if you want to ride a machine built flow trail, there's that. And right next to it, there's a single track trail. And then right next to it, there's a rocky one. And then right next to that, there's one with jumps. So if you're riding a, a green trail or a blue trail or a black trail, there's like a variety of the style of trail from the same peak. And some of them are at points 20 feet apart, but are completely different flavor trails, which is was kind of my goal with it. And then a, a big thing too is to build all the jump lines. I feel like there's no good examples of well-built jump trails for for mountain bikes in the South. Like you kind of have to go to Mountain Creek or Highland, which is 12, 16 hours away to ride a good jump line, in my opinion. And I thought if we could build something like that here, then it would be unique and people like jumps. So (laughs) it would be a good thing to put in. So we put that and um, yeah, opened with uh, what I thought was a really nice variety of trails. Yeah. So you just got my head going in a bunch of different directions, which is going to go off script. You've mentioned numerous times that you have a bunch of public trails, which are essentially free to go to in this area. And this just question was asked to me actually earlier this week is when I was talking about how bike parks to a friend, you know, would be, it'd be a good thing to have in the community I live in. And he's like, well, there's all these public trails. Why would somebody pay to go ride their bike? What does that, what does that experience offer? And what differentiates you? You know, you talked about jump lines, you talked about the same 
you know, having, you know, you go to Pisgah and maybe a lot of the trails are the same and not having as much trail diversity, you know, and then you come to Canuga and it costs money. And I, I know that I would pay to go ride there, but some people might not know that. What, you know, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I guess in the beginning, I, I was kind of on board with the people that don't want to pay. Like I, D- Dave is a really good businessman. He owns a chain of doctor's offices and has been super successful with it. So he was the kind of business-minded person that was in this project. I just wanted to make really good trails and was stoked to have the time to work on the project. And like I said, the terrain was awesome to work with. So it was exciting to me. But I kind of thought too, like, I love riding in Pisgah for free. Why would I go to pay to ride at Canuga? And at first I was like, we should just make it free. And then maybe we could like sell beer at the bottom or something. Like the hub is right at the entrance of Pisgah National Forest and they have a really good business, you know, providing things to people who want to go into the National Forest. So at first I was like, well, let's just build a really good trail system and then try to create our own like economic stimulus to our, like by building a a little shop at the bottom that caters to the people using the trails. But the more that we got into it, there seemed to be a demand for these type of variety of trails, which, yeah, you can try to get them built in the public space and wait for five years to get a meeting and approval and never really seemed like there's just too much tape around it or you can just go make it and then people can pay you to use it to cover the cost of it which was kind of like the two ways to do it and at first i thought it would just be really the the variety of trails and the the unique like jump lines that we could offer that would be the reason that someone would come to ride at canuga but as it's progressed the most important thing I think is the maintenance. We can provide, like we have five full-time trail builders for 10 miles of trail, which is kind of unheard of for anywhere else in the region. And they're shaping the like mountain bike trails like they're dirt jumps, like they they get raked, raked for like loose gravel and all the berms get shaped and every jump is like the lips are perfect. The landings don't have ruts in them. It's tough sometimes when we get these huge thunderstorms in the summer to keep up with it all. At one point, we had like 12 inches of rain in one day, but we had it cleaned up in a week. So, and Pisgah's, that was probably eight months ago, and Pisgah's still messed up from that. So, just having like great maintenance, I think like the, the day pass is a little bit more expensive. It's 29 bucks, which, you know, I was like, there's no shuttle. Who's going to pay 29 bucks? But it's more for people who are from out of town. If they're on a big mountain bike trip, they just bought their mountain bike for eight grand. If they're going to have a great experience and it's, it's really not that big of a barrier for them. But our, our monthly pass or our year pass, like the monthly pass is 50 bucks a month. So for the locals, it's not really that bad. And I've heard a couple of people say like, this is the closest thing to a country club that I'll ever be a part of because we're out there on a daily basis with a few guys leaf blowing the trails in the fall, breaking them for gravel, shaping them up. Like the trails, like every time you go, you know, you're going to have a good experience and the ride is going to be good. 
you're not going to go and there's going to be down trees. You're going to be hiking through streams with bridges out. Like you, you know exactly what you're getting into when you go to Canuga. And people are willing to pay for that level of maintained trail. So yeah, for the locals, it's, it's kind of like a gym membership or a country club, I guess. And it's, it's not that crazy. Like it's working. (laughs) I didn't know if it would work very well. Like I said, I was on the other side when we started building it and I was like, yeah, whatever, Dave, like you worry about that. I'm just going to make these trails sick. Like if you want to charge a lot of money, I better do a really good job then at making the trails cool. But it, it's, uh, yeah, it's like I said, it's worked out and that we have a ton of riders that are members and have a season pass and are coming every weekend from out of town. So the model works. And I think just being able to do it privately, like, and like I said, not following the code. And I don't want to be on here like renegade, like, yeah, let's go build like unsustainable trails everywhere. We can build unsustainable trails. And when I say unsustainable, they are not as bad as some stuff that you see like renegade trails. But we have five people every day fixing them. So you can make something that's maybe not to code and more fun because it's not at a steeper grade or whatever it is because somebody's going to walk down it every day and make sure it's all good. So that's the way we were able to make stuff that was kind of different than the public trails. And I think more bike specific and more fun. And also the maintenance factor being able to provide a, every time you come there, the trails are going to be good. Yeah. And you totally hit it with the maintenance, especially because, you know, a lot of times, and I've been involved with trail builds where I live, where we build bike park style trails on a public piece of land, because a lot of people want it. And there's no other place to, no other venue offering it where I live. And then a year into it, you're like, holy cow, man, that's a ton of maintenance. And you're relying on volunteers. And volunteers are amazing. I've been a volunteer my whole life doing this. But the math doesn't add up because volunteers also have full-time jobs. That doesn't include digging. Yeah. You know, so that's a super important part of of bike parks. Um, Speaking of the model... You know, this is one thing that that kind of blew my mind when I was talking to Sean Leader about Windrock, which is the numbers that he saw coming to Windrock that he didn't think would happen as fast as it did. Are you seeing the same thing with Canuga with your rider numbers? Oh, for sure. I would say it far exceeded my expectations. I was hoping that we would be able to have enough people to sustain, you know, one guy to be able to maintain the trails and we would be able to just hopefully recoup some money over the course of a few years. And we're now able to have five full-time trail builders. And we have a a big shop that we just finished at the bottom. We built a new parking lot because we couldn't fit enough people to park in the two parking lots that we already had. So blown away by the numbers. And I think it was just kind of a combination of a lot of things at the right time. People had an appetite for this in the area. very like I said, opposite of Windrock where like Windrock we made to be gnarly and rough and like almost like if you didn't like it, then go somewhere else sort of vibe. And Canuga is like for trail bikes and is pretty easy and is makes you feel like you're good at riding when you hit the trails. Whereas like Windrock, even me, like I go there, I'm like, wow, I suck today. Like this is so hard. <laughs> And they have a lot more stuff now. I'm not like 
not saying you shouldn't go to Windrock, but like that was kind of our, we wanted it to be hard because we made it for training for the World Cups. Like that's what we built it for. Whereas Canuga, we have some hard stuff and some stuff that's definitely like black and double black diamond level trail, but it's all made more welcoming and for the, I guess, general public with that in mind. So, um, I think because of that, there was an appetite for like mountain bike specific trails and stuff that was different than you could go ride in the national forest. And people have, there's tons of people who own a trail or enduro style bike in Asheville area. So it's at a good place. Like where Windrock is, there wasn't as much of a, like we built the scene for downhill. Like we put, put it in like middle of nowhere, Tennessee and there was not a lot of downhill community. And we kind of grew that as we built the bike park because it was a good spot to ride. Whereas here, it was already a huge community. It's 10 minutes from the interstate. It's like close to Atlanta, Charlotte, and Asheville. So it's, and, and Greenville is only 40 minutes away too. So it's a kind of a perfect spot. And then when, when coronavirus came, like, there was a lot of stuff that was getting shut down. People had time off of work or were able to work remotely. And other places, other businesses had to close. We were a mountain bike trail center in the woods and we didn't fall under any of those restrictions. So people could come and ride their bike on the trails all they wanted. And it was at a time when they may have had more time to do that. So I'd say it was just a really good combination of a lot of things that, that made it exponentially more successful than I expected. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, bi- bikes in general have gotten so much better, especially in the last five years, you know, and people are buying those bikes. And even if you can throw out the, the term down country, but even like modern cross country bikes have gotten so good compared to what, you know, I mean, a modern cross country bike is almost like a downhill bike from the nineties, but better geometry. Yeah. I mean, I'm biased. I think that all all of them suck compared to a downhill bike. <laughs> I get to ride a tuned downhill bike all the time and anything that's not that feels like it's uh, disintegrating underneath me, <laughs> but I'm coming from a different point of view. Yeah. Well, I mean, my first, my first lap at Windrock, it was raining and I was on my truck top fuel, new truck top fuel. So a new down country. And Sean was like, yeah, I could see the look in his eyes. I'm like, yeah, I know this bike. It'll be fine. He's like, okay, we're about halfway down the first run. And he goes, how about we throw you on a downhill bike? Said, yeah, well, we can, I'll, get, yeah, I'll hop on a downhill bike. You're way right on this. Cause this is not the right tool for this. And, and Sean was very, very candid about the fact that Windrock is not for everybody. Just like you said, you know, it's, it's a very niche market. It's there for a very specific purpose, which is legit top level downhill racing. Yeah. I mean, that was the goal. Uh, Windrock, um, when I moved, I moved to the Southeast in 2013 and there wasn't really many places that you could shuttle that were easy and quick and had a trail for downhill bikes. Like there was a couple trails here in Pisgah, like Bennett Gap is a cool one that you can shuttle with an enduro bike, but it's a long shuttle. It's got three climbs in it and it's only in very small places good for a downhill bike. And Windrock was a spot where guys were shuttling and building kind of whatever renegade trails they wanted. 
since um, the early 2000s. So the shuttle road being on private property, they built that road up there to build the windmills. I think it was in 2005. And they paved it and it's like the most efficient. It's quicker than any chairlift in the area and for the amount of vert that it has. And we have like the trucks at Windrock have a better uplift capacity than any chairlift in the area too. So it's, it was like the spot to go to ride downhill and it was just kind of too janky. Like it was probably in line with what was going on in 2005, but for like current modern downhill tracks, there was some, the turns were too tight in places and there was a lot of like, I call them booby traps, like sketchy wooden shit and stumps that were pedal height that I wanted to try to I was like, we could make some legit legit downhill tracks, but we got to get rid of this stuff. So we started like maintaining the trails a little bit just for our own use. Like we would drive out from, from Brevard with my sprinter van full of like 12 of us. Like my brother would drive it. We'd leave at six o'clock in the morning. We'd be like sleeping on the floor in the back of the van, loaded down with rakes and all of our bikes, go to Windrock, rake the trail, do any kind of maintenance that needed to be done and then ride all day and then drive home, which was a big day. But we started to just get more into riding out there and would stay over. And um, it was, like I said, the best place to practice for downhill racing. And then I started doing the the Downhill Southeast series just as a way to try to get some preseason races in was the goal. Like we had mild enough weather and good enough tracks around the Southeast that I thought if we could get like a little race series going, that'd be a good way that we could get some practice in on a race course before heading over to the first races in Europe and not have to fly to New Zealand to do it. So we started those races and we had had them at Windrock the first year. It was a year before we opened the bike park and worked on the trail a little bit more to get it ready for that. And yeah, I guess as I was out there, developed the relationship with the the owners of the property. It used to be a coal mine and they still do a bunch of like natural land stuff out there, logging or natural gas. Um, they have windmills at the top. So kind of the structure of Coal Creek is that they like to have these private contractors that come in and do something with the land and then pay them to use it. and the off-road park they own is theirs in-house, but they already had a lot of the pieces in place to be able to have this bike park. Like parking lots were there, the shuttle road was there. They had a really good insurance that covered at that time covered mountain biking as well because it was part of the one of the vehicles that you could check the box that you were taking on the mountain was a bike. So they had a lot of that stuff in place, and um, yeah, they they kind of. I was there one day doing a fox test and it was pretty cold. So I would hang out in the general store between runs and the guys would mess with the bike. And then I would go ride and they would go inside and hang in the general store while, while I was out riding. And I didn't realize it. That, that was like the best season I had. I think I was like top 10 at most of the races and got fourth at Worlds and was doing really well that season. And they were talking, they were like hyping me up to the people in the store. Like 
and for it just happened that the president was there that day in the store and was like, yeah, that guy that's riding is like World Cup rider. He's one of the best riders in the world. And I didn't know they were hyping me up like that. And then I'd come in and just like make small talk with them while I was there. And the guy was, the president was like, hey, how can we get more bikers to come here and ride? Like, I see that you like to use our property. Like, how can we get more people? I was like, well, we came here yesterday and built the whole trail, maintained it and got it ready for this test, paid you guys to do that. And then shuttled ourselves all day. There's not very many people that are willing to to do that. Like I, it was the only way to get a good test session in. So that's why we did it just to be able to ride. But if you want more people to come, like you're going to have to maintain the trails and mark them and then provide the uplift. And, uh, he was like, cool. Well, do you know anybody who can do it? Like we want to, we want to have a bike park here. I was like, well, let me think about it. And, uh, more I thought about it, I was like, this would be a real cool thing to do. Like, it'd be awesome to start a bike park. And most of the infrastructure was there. We just had to build some easier trails to make it for the public and figure out the shuttle situation. So, um, I, I was, yeah, I just met Sean and he lived like maybe 30 minutes from there. So he was local and Sean's dad has a, he has a, sh- a big, like an industrial fabricating shop where they make these machines that change forklift tires and had a bunch of infrastructure and resources to be able to help us with getting into this project with like maintaining equipment and helping us to build the shuttles and stuff. So Sean was, and he, Sean really wanted to be a part of it. Sean was, I think he was still racing EWS at the time, which was how I met him. He was out there shuttling too. And, um, yeah, he would like, he was like, thought the idea was cool and and wanted to be involved and I couldn't do it myself. So I thought it would be, yeah, good partnership. And, um, so yeah, then Sean and I proceeded after that season in 2016, when I finished racing, we went out there and we busted our ass for six weeks and like probably the hardest, it was like a, it was like a six week bender where we just went there before the sun came up every morning and left after it was dark every night and managed to like build Talladega plus a couple, like we had to reroute a bunch of trails and we bought these old rafting buses from like a, a rafting guiding company, gutted all the seats out of them, cut a hole in the back door so that the bikes could go in and we like, they were pretty cheap and that's all we could afford. And we, um, yeah, got them ready to, to shuttle and was able to open the bike park like six weeks later, which is a crazy timeline. And now I know that that's an unsustainable workload. <laughs> but at the time I was like, well, we have this many days. Like if we work all day, every day, we can get this much done. So there's no reason why we can't do that. And <laughs> we pulled it off. We were able to open it and it was for sure rough around the edges at first, but I think it was, it was refreshing to a lot of people because it was authentic and organic. And there was a, a couple other people like us that wanted to practice riding hard trails and they were stoked about it. So yeah, it was humble beginnings, but has come a long way. And, and like I said, in the beginning, it was like 
no people riding in that area, but we grew a community where there's a bunch of people that have now moved to that area or, or just live there and, and picked up mountain biking because of Windrock. So it's cool to see. Yeah. And you're growing the sport of downhill specifically out of that area, which is good to see. Yeah. I mean, I love downhill and it would have been better to start, uh, like a trail bike park, like what Canuga is or a enduro race series instead of a downhill race series. But I like downhill. So I wanted to do that. And now we have, uh, like our series is, I would say like Northwest cup has been running for 20 years and they get huge numbers cause they're, you can see Canada from there. So you get a bunch of people that cross over from BC and, and they've got an awesome series, but we are quickly approaching and, and a lot of our races are getting more people in, um, the downhill Southeast series. So it's, it's getting to be like the hot spot in the country for downhill. And I was really proud to see, like, like you said, in the beginning, we haven't had that many U S downhill riders for a while, but we're getting to have more and more now. And, um, like there was one race where I think there was like five of us in the top 15. And I think four of those dudes were earlier that year on the podium at the downhill Southeast race doing a practice race in the beginning of the season. So I was like really proud to see, not, not that I take any credit, but that, you know, they were, I was able to provide the opportunity that they could come and practice and ride. And now as well, like you see, there's on the, if you look at the U S world's team for downhill, there's me, Luca, Chris Grice, and Dakota all here on the Southeast in, in Pisgah forest or Knoxville. And, um, and Aaron just moved over here. He got a, he just bought a house in Oliver Springs too. So I don't know if he's considering himself so SoCal or, or Southeast, but we'll say SoCal and him and Charlie are from the other side. So there's like, there's pretty much two spots in the country that the downhill riders are living. And it's normal in a lot of sports. You see those kind of hot spots where, where guys are, are, are training together and everything. And it's cool that like for downhill racing now, this region is, is one of those spots. And I would say at the moment, like the hottest spot for it. Oh, for sure. I would agree. I mean, where else can you get Euro style steepness and not even yeah. have elevation where you have it issues with breathing, you know, cause you guys are, you guys have the elevation, but it starts at like 700 feet, at least at Windrock, <laughs> you know, you're not starting at 10,000 yeah. feet or 8,000 feet. And I think that's why the, like the dirt is better be, like high Alpine stuff. I haven't experienced much of it that has nice dirt, but like Windrock, the windmill is like 3,200 to a thousand at the bottom or something. So it's, it's a big drop. And being lower down like that, you get a lot more mild winter. Yeah, it's hot in the summer in the Southeast, but it's, it's the way it is. And the dirt's good. So yeah, we were able to build stuff that was, like I said, Tennessee was like no red tape. So we could, it used to be a coal mine. They, the stuff they did out there to the land was like, they really scarred it. So for us to go build bike trails, like we there's nothing we could do that was going to make it worse. Whereas like sometimes I think people are a little bit too uptight about that. Like a trail that's too steep or causing erosion or something is like, look around, like 
<laughs> there's a lot of, like, of course there needs to be rules in place. I've been to third world countries. I've been to South America and saw a lot of sketchy roadworks or things that are not good. And these rules are in place for a reason, but people riding this bike trail, that's maybe too steep is, I don't think that bad of a thing to do. So it was cool that we were able to do it at Windrock. And I think that's a piece of what makes it unique. Yeah. Let's talk about bike parks in general. I think there's a misconception out there that you have to be in a mountain and you have to have a ton of elevation or a chairlift or a combination of things to make a bike park happen. And, and you've proven with, with Canuga that isn't necessarily the case. You know, what are your thoughts on that? What is the elevation at Canuga, by the way, as far as your, your vertical drop from, from top to parking lot? Yeah. So the trails are 500 feet of vert, which is, I think, a good ratio. Like, of course, I want it to be taller, but when you're out there, climbing it. It's like right at the time when you're tired of climbing uphill, you're at the top and you can go down again. And they're like long enough where like when we had an enduro race there, the most direct steep ones were still like two minutes long, which is short, I guess. But like if you're hauling ass for two minutes, it's um, a decent length sort of hill. I think it's just like a nice, I think it's kind of a perfect ratio for what it is. But yeah, I guess like in the past, bike parks have either been dirt jump spots, like you see some places like that, that you would call a bike park or a resort downhill oriented bike park. And doing it at Canuga was just like, I don't know, it was just like the people here had trail bikes. So we made a trail bike park and we laid it out like a downhill park, but for trail bikes and there's places like that other, uh, there's not the first one to be like that, but most of them are, are like in a, either a state forest or there's somehow like government owned or run and you couldn't build like kind of the cool, unique stuff that we made being private. And, and I'm not saying like that all of our trails are bootleg, like they're all permitted by Henderson County and approved to their, like they've walked them and said that they're all like the measures that we have in place are in line with what their code is. But being able to do it privately, we just could do it, I think a little bit cooler than I've seen it done on most of these public places. Yeah, for sure. What have you, have you incorporated anything that you found in other, in other countries or other locations into Canuga? Like what, what's some of the stuff you, you've seen in other places that you really you thought, you know, this would be good for here. Yeah. I mean, I guess that was even going back to Windrock, that was the goal. Like I rode a bunch of cool places in Europe and a lot of their bike parks are rougher and steeper and not as easy. <laughs> so I like wanted to come and bring the cool sections of other places I've raced or ridden back and, and make those here. And then, yeah, Canuga has a lot of that too. Like our big jump line Southeast style is kind of a nod to any style, which is Highlands big jump trail, Northeast style. I don't know if they call it, it's any style for new England style or Northeast style, or it's supposed to sound like any style. I don't know why they, maybe smooth talk could tell us, but, um, we called it Southeast style as a nod to that. So Highland has some awesome jump lines and I think a lot of people would agree that if you want to go ride like a jump park, that's the spot to go. So looked, looked at that. And then, um, like if you, if you watch some videos from 
guys in England, they're riding these like rut tracks that look so sick, like loamy, ripping ruts. And like a couple of the trails that we made at Canuga, we just like I corridored them with um with a with a sawzall actually, because we got this huge sawzall, the biggest one, to be able to cut roots. And it actually rips. And if you use a small saw, you're like limited to what trees you can take down. So I thought like, well, we'll just, we just want to make turns. Like it doesn't really matter where the turns are. They just need to be at the right radius and the right interval. And I'll just like figure out what trees to like, I don't want to cut down any big trees because it's a lot of work and it's unnecessary. So I'm just going to corridor it with the sawzall and then we'll ride uphill with our dirt bikes to like cut it in. So we made this trail and we called it GNCC because we cut it in with the dirt bikes, which is after the Grand National Cross Country Motorcycle Series. And we just like got all these ruts that were, that were just hooking and sick. And at first it was loamy. Now that it's been open for a year, it's not loamy anymore, but it still has that kind of feel to it. And yeah, that was something that you, you just see like those guys like 501 or the guys in the UK are just ripping these like little rut tracks and you never get to ride that. So thought it'd be cool to make one of those. And anytime the rut got too clapped, we just uh, made a new one two feet to the inside or outside. And and now the trail's got like five ruts in every turn, which is more suiting to uh, it being called GNCC. But yeah, I guess those are some of the things. And then, I don't know, when I, when I build, I try to just like use the natural lay of the land as much as possible. I see a lot of, and I, I'm not trying to talk negatively about resort bike parks, but you get a big trail building company to come and they, they like build the blueprints for the same trail that they know how to build. And those trails are good and they're really good for public and beginners but they like will clear everything in their path to build this, this line that's like they have the, I almost call them like blueprints for. Whereas I like to, if I see a rise in the land or a dip, like I think it's cool to use that and it makes it more unique to that area. And it's like, it makes every trail different and makes, makes every mountain different. I, I always joke around like, if you took me blindfolded to the center of trails at most bike parks, I couldn't tell you what mountain I was at, but I could tell you what trail company built that trail because they're all the same. Whereas like, I think it's, it's less sustainable to do the way that I do because I'm not like completely ripping it out and building like a highway down the mountain. But I think it's cool to like use the dip and rise and natural lay of the land more when I build the trails. And that was something that I wanted to do at Canuga. So, yeah, I guess those are some things. Well, one of the things I always ask guests before, we, before we're done is about communities. And I really like to ask the question of what do you think makes a good trail community? And that is like a holistic trail community, not just having good trails. Like what, do you, what are the things you look for, maybe the places you visited that had the ingredients that you thought made that a good community for, for trails and for mountain biking? That's a, that's a tough one because, um, maybe, um, my perspective is different than other people. Like sometimes I feel like I don't get the honest answer because everyone tells me that the trail is awesome or that they, they're kind of praising whatever it was that I helped to build. Um, but I think like, as far as a good community goes, like 
you're wearing the AMBC hat right now. They they did an awesome job in Knoxville of just creating like a club that is inclusive to everyone and able to work really well with the city to use public lands and build cool trails and they're very accessible and get new people into biking and people love to be part of the AMBC. Like people love to go to the meetings. So they do a really good job of of that community aspect. I almost feel like the way that I've done it has not been as much like utilizing the community. We almost just like skip the red tape to build the trails the way we want. And then on the back end, like I feel like I have a good gauge of if they're good, like if the trails are going to be fun to ride. And for sure, like my gauge is more on the advanced mountain bikers, what they will like. But bringing like my girlfriend, Callie, and she was able to like, she rides cross country and is on a, like a jumping level, more of a beginner. So she can gauge that a little bit better. Like what a blue trail, what those guys will like. But regardless, like if you have a vision for it, you can build it. And I think I've like just made stuff that I thought would be good. And then on the back end, like people will want to come ride it because we made it. And it's like almost a reverse way of the way that most mountain bike community stuff works, where like you will work together to create a plan and figure out how we can make this work on volunteers and on like a public land use. So that's a really cool thing. That, and I'm glad people are out there doing that. But I don't want to sound like a dick, but I don't have the patience to like go to this meeting with the county and try to convince them to build the trail. Like I just want to, I just want to make it. And then I know it'll be good. So people will come ride it and we'll like make up for it on the back end sort of thing. Uh, and, and you can't do that everywhere. Like, even in North Carolina, we have a lot less restrictions than a lot of places in the country. There's not opportunities all over the place to go just rip into a mountain and build the trails that you want to make. But I've been lucky enough to find a couple of them. And I think there is more out there. And um, we've almost like made our own communities around the projects that we wanted to do rather than the other way around. And now, now like even the people that are kind of that hang out at Canuga all the time. Like there's locals that ride there several times a week and are just like, some of them I'm like, do you work here now? Like, did Callie, did you hire this guy? <laughs> but he, he's hanging out till like eight o'clock at night, watching us work and hanging out or even like people that are working. Like, do you work here? Is like, no, I'm just friends with the other guys in the trail crew. And I wanted to come hang out. So kind of like, created a buzz enough that people want to be a part of it. And I think that does create a community and like, sure, these are all businesses, but they're businesses because they have to be to sustain being able to offer the, the experience that we want. I think I said in the beginning, you, if you wanted to make a lot of money, you should not get into mountain biking. And I think everybody that's in it is in it for the right reasons to do something cool and because they love it. And if we can yeah, run these businesses that offer the experience and on the back end create people that are part of, feel part of it and feel part of a community. Or even like the 
yeah, I said we have five trail builders at Canuga and we've got somebody working in the shop on rental bikes and Callie managing it. And like the other night we had our, our like holiday, we went to the go-kart track and I ran all the employees off the track and that was like our holiday party. And like all those, and some of the kids that like work at Canuga are so stoked to like work there and be a part of it. Like even just the people that are working there that have a job. And it's the same at Windrock. Like the people are on the trail crew, the people that work in the shop at Windrock are like so stoked to be doing this job rather than another one. So even them that it has affected and that they're, they love it and they'll, they'll bleed for it. Like it's so cool that there's that much passion. And yeah, I think we've only just scratched the surface. Like we opened Windrock five years ago, opened Canuga last year and there's a, yeah, potential. Hopefully it inspires other people to do the same thing. Before we get to closing comments, and I know I already said that once already, but I thought of one thing while you were talking, which is businesses. You have Downhill Southeast, and I believe there's a new Enduro Southeast series starting up, is it, or is that already been running for a year? No, the Enduros is this year. Um, and that's that's actually, my brother Logan is doing that all himself. I told him that... Uh, I have enough on my plate. <laughs> so <laughs> he wanted to do the, the Enduro series and we started it. We started the downhill series because like I said, I wanted to, wanted to have a cool downhill series. Probably would have got a lot more people if we started an Enduro series and made more money doing it. But I like downhill. So I wanted to do downhill. So this year, Logan has helped with all the races over the, since it started and has pretty much done everything the past two years. And he thought that it would be a cool idea to try to start an enduro series. So he led the charge on that and we got four enduro series and they're, they're all like pretty early season. Like I tried even with the downhill races to make them all early season. And that's kind of was the goal in the beginning to make preseason races. And it's progressed to where they're like in the summer now, but it conflicts less with the races in the Northeast, which I try to work together. Like, uh, I, I feel like on, on race promotion and the trail building too, there's a lot of like animosity towards the other people that are doing it. Like we're doing it better than you're doing it. And like, I don't consider myself a race promoter or a trail builder. So, some guys on the racetrack, I for sure want to beat, but I feel like they kind of feel like that about trail building and race promotion. Whereas like, I don't care at all. Like I just want to make a cool race. I want to try to make it so it doesn't conflict with the other races so that more people can come to both and um, just make it like a good race for everyone. I feel like I always, with Downhill Southeast, I always put the money back into the race, like whatever entry fee we have. And I was, I was saying, it's like, you're giving the money to the government, like tax money, but to a government that you actually like, which is Downhill Southeast. <laughs> and we put it back into making a cool race. So uh, yeah. Yeah, and I noticed two of the two of the Enduro Southeast races are at V Hollow, which is another cool private venue down in in kind of your neck of the woods, closer to obviously a lot closer to Knoxville. Yeah, I um to be honest, I haven't even gotten to ride there yet. I don't travel that much to ride my trail bike. I feel like when I'm pedaling uphill like or riding Enduro, it's more of a a training ride. So I I tend to just and I'm and I can go ride here in Pisgah, which is awesome. So I have a hard time like going places to ride. 
to pedal up. So I haven't been there, but Logan has ridden there a few times and laid out enough. They, they have two mountains and enough stages for two enduro races that don't share the same stages, which is super cool. And that was that, that park's kind of laid out like Canuga where it's a pedal up bike park, but it's, it's public and it's free to use the owner of Clayton homes, which is a big home builder in the Southeast. They wanted to do something to give back to the community. So they donated the, the land and paid for these trails to be built for public use. So, um, it's a really cool spot and that's, yeah, that's going to be the venue for two of the races. And they were stoked to work with Logan because he was going to bring new faces there and show it to more people. So kind of helped to, I don't know, raise some awareness and put them on the map a little bit. Yeah. It's a super cool place. I was fortunate enough to be able to ride there with Shaggy and, and Brian Han when I was down in that neck of the woods in October before they officially opened. And, and I've had Corey Clayton on the show and it's just cool to get, you know, to get their perspective on things, but well, do you have anything that you want to discuss that we haven't covered yet or anything that popped into your brain for closing comments at all? I don't think so. I mean, I, I normally I talk too much already, <laughs> so I think I probably covered it. Do you have any sponsors you want to, you want to shout out to obviously besides Canuga cause Canuga is a major sponsor, but you know, with your program, you know, you got a, you got a list of people on board. Yeah. Canuga is definitely the, uh, the biggest sponsor. And I convinced Dave that it would be a good idea to sponsor, to put some money into this, which is, uh, doesn't make the most sense. Like it's a downhill team um, or downhill program and you can't ride downhill. Well, you can push your downhill bike at Canuga. But I guess people that are interested in, in downhill and watching it, there, there's a lot more people that own a trail bike that maybe think downhill is cool and, and are interested in, in what I'm doing than necessarily have to own a downhill bike and race downhill. So by Canuga supporting it, it can raise awareness for Canuga and Hopefully people will come and, you know, if you buy a pass, like you're supporting not only the bike park at Canuga and the opportunity to improve that, but the other cool things that I'm doing and this, uh, race project. So Canuga is the biggest sponsor with that. And then worldwide cyclery, which is, uh, one of the biggest bike shops in the country owned by one of my best friends, Jeff Cayley, who I grew up racing with. They're a big sponsor of mine, Maxis Tires. Which I don't really need to say much about. There, <laughs> look on, look up any race results over the past twenty years, and you'll see Max's tires at the top. Fox Suspension is they have a local spot here in Asheville, and I'm really good friends with a lot of those guys, and they make, I think, the best suspension for racing dampers that can keep up with going really fast and work well with my bike. Reserve Rims, which is uh, Santa Cruz's carbon rims. Fox Clothing. Kogel bearings, ceramic bearings. I have them in my wheels, bottom bracket. I'm using their derailleur pulleys too, which is, you know, if you're on a road bike, more important. But the the main thing is the ceramic bearings and the wheels in a downhill race. I think they make a big difference and Kogel offers the best ones. WD-40 is like lubricants and cleaning products. And they're, uh, I think, just really fitting for for what I'm doing, assembling frames and... um riding the bike in the mud all the time. So WD-40s supporting me is, is huge. Um, spank bar, stem and seat, which is like the dimension bar and, and the length stem and everything that that's my preference. 
and they use a vibracore in the bar, which is like a, a vibration deadening foam, which is a subtle thing, but I, it definitely has uh, like some engineering behind it. It's not just snake oil. ODI grips I've used since I was a little kid and they're my preference of grip. They got the rubber on the grips down. Factor Hubs is a company that's based in Georgia. So they're local. I rode with the guys this past weekend and they're just like trying to make an impact in their local region. And North Georgia is only less than a hundred miles from here. So I guess I fit into that and stoked to be a part of it. WTB does a lot for trails and mountain biking in general. They're one of those companies that gives back and I'm using their sealant this year to race. They wanted to be a part of the program. They didn't have a ton of budget to put towards the racing, but they were stoked to give me some funding and be my sponsor for sealant. They have a new sealant that just came out that works really well. It's a ammonia-free synthetic latex sealant that doesn't dry up and um, seals like pretty big holes, like up to six mil, I think. So stoked to be working with them. GoPro cameras, which is providing us with some funding and the cameras we need to film all these cool videos that Logan's going to do. We're going to incorporate some GoPro stuff. And then Hand Up Gloves is another local company there out of Chattanooga. And I designed a signature glove with them that was not just the pattern, that was like the construction of the glove for racing. So Hand Up is a, a really cool local brand. And I, I talk to those guys on the phone all the time. So it's cool to be working with so many companies that I've got a good local relationship with. And um, sometimes that like, like, of course, I chose everything that was going to be performance-based for me to race the best I could. But when you can have a, an awesome relationship with somebody, it's super valuable. Yeah. And you, you listed a couple things there that I am now going to go out and, and try because of, because of what you just said, which is the cocoa bearings and the, and the sealant thing. Like, I'm always trying different sealants, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've, had, I've had good luck with a couple different companies, but there's a lot of companies that have really, that I've had really bad luck with, you know? And <laughs> yeah, I think there's also like some inconsistencies batch to batch with certain companies, but um, yeah, I've been soaked on the WTB sealant. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Nico. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. Our next episode will feature Mark Hayes, the founder and owner of Highland Bike Park in Northfield, New Hampshire. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and is an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature in Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.